Washed Up Emo sponsors New Belgium Brewing are celebrating their 30th anniversary as a company. To celebrate, they're releasing Wild Ride Amber IPA, a happy tribute to their iconic fat tire. Even better, New Belgium Brewing are giving away bikes and gear all year. Find out more information by visiting newbelgium.com. Do you ever wonder if your favorite band is emo? Tired of being in the same conversation with friends? Not knowing if you're listening to post-hardcore, screamo, emo revival, emo emo violence, even ska. We're We're here here to to help. help. The Emo Council is here staffed and ready for any question you may have. Hey, Emo Council, just wondering if Green Day was considered an emo band. Thanks. Green Day is not an emo band. Okay. From the creators of Washed Up Emo, isthisbandemo.com offers the definitive answer to the only important question of your day. Hey, is this been emo? This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. Welcome to episode 55 of the Washed Up Emo Podcast. I am Tom Mullen from washedupemo.com and isthisbandemo.com. And often requested, I finally delivered, I brought you John Nolan from Taking Back Sunday and Stray Light Run. So we spoke about his band's formation, his upbringing on Long Island, and what's next for himself and of course the band Taking Back Sunday. So questions, complaints, comments, send them on over, washedupemo.com. I will respond to them accordingly. We're going to play you into the episode with a little year so last summer from Taking Back Sunday. Enjoy. She said, don't. Don't let it go to your head. Boys like you are a dime a dozen. Boys like you are a dime a dozen. She said, you're a touch. John Nolan, thank you so much for being on the podcast. You have been often requested um, to hear these stories, so I'm happy to have you. Um, and I think, you know, I love that you still have a 516 number that, that tells me that yeah. you are on Long Island. You, were, you grew up on Long Island, even though you're not there now. You're in North Carolina. But if someone calls yeah. you, they have to think about Long Island. That's, what, that's what? right. I'm, yeah, I'm keeping it real, so to speak. <laughs> uh, I think for a lot of people, they... Right you know, listen to that scene or they kind of, you know, heard about it. What was it like, I, you know, for you sort of growing up in it? Um, if it was exposure to music or bands, was it easy? Were there, because there were so many things happening, what were some of those first sort of memories of, you know, being like, oh, wow, that sounded really cool. Or I think I want to do that. Um, well, personally, I didn't, discover what was happening with that Long Island kind of like punk rock hardcore scene until I was probably like 19 or 20, which like in that world is pretty old. You know, a lot of the the people that are in the bands and going to those shows are teenagers and, you know, or at least start out in their early teens, you know, and have been, been their whole, uh, teenage life in that scene, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, so, 
I was pretty late to it, but uh, once I uh, discovered that this was something that was happening, it was kind of mind-blowing to me, you know, because um, I, I had been in bands all through high school, and I was, like, always trying to find people to play music with, try to find people to connect with, and, like, it was so hard. And uh, I didn't know that, the, you know, this whole thing existed on Long Island, this network of bands and maybe this, this scene of, of all these, uh, you know, different types of music and, uh, and people that were all interconnected. Um, so, and when I started going to these shows, it was, I couldn't believe it. Like I, some of the first ones I, I saw, I think it were bands like, like silent majority mm-hmm. and, uh, inside. If you remember those bands, yes, I do. uh, yeah, I love inside. And, and to me, like that was like, like it was, it was probably like, you know, 50 or 60 people at a VFW hall. But, um, it was mind blowing to me because this was all done. Like it, it was like this a whole, a whole world that it was like, you know, that I didn't know existed that was being opened up to me. So, you know, you have like this VFW hall of like 50 or 60 kids just losing their minds, like, uh, standing on the floor with silent majority or any of these other bands, just like singing along, going crazy. And, um, and I just kind of walked into this and was like, oh, my God, I, I had no idea that this is a thing. And, and so that was my introduction to it. And uh, and then I obviously like started to get to know more uh, people involved in, in that whole scene and, and, and eventually ended up uh, a part of it. And then when you, you, know, you were sort of meeting those people and was it... Did did someone maybe bring you aside and said, "Hey, check out this zine," or, "Hey, there's this other show. Here's a flyer." Did you sort of feel that sort of hand to hand? Were there certain people that you sort of felt, uh, you know, connected to or more open? Um, no, I kind of just like went went with the flow of things. The, the, like I got introduced to to that whole scene. The one the, the one person that started it out for me was uh, the who, the guy who ended up being the original singer of Taking Back Sunday, um, Antonio Longo. Uh, he was the person who I started to kind of learn about what was going on and go to some shows with him and meet some people. So I would kind of just go where he was going, and then I you know like so I, I just I you know would just check out the bands at the shows that, that I would go to with him. And, and then my friend Jesse, who ended up being, um, in brand new, as I'm sure, you know, mm-hmm. uh, he was in a band called the rookie lot. Um, uh, and, and they were kind of the, the pre brand new band that, uh, that, that started to kind of get known on the, in the long Island scene. So I would go to their shows and then, the bands that they played with and so then so between just like knowing those two guys and the bands and people that they knew i would just sort of find out about bands just by going to shows and you know and and seeing what you know seeing what i saw did you feel that 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 would have happened now i mean that was such a special time i think that that time period and you know the the scene i mean maybe maybe Two two questions out of it. Would, would it? Do you feel like it would have happened today with everyone on their cell phones and and you know those those connections? Um, and then what was special about maybe those? You know, if it was 
you know, 98, 99, 2000, those sort of years, what was, what was special about it happening on Long Island? Because there are scenes all over the place, but some of them take off and some of them don't. <laughs> what was sort of the secret mm-hmm. sauce? Um, uh, both of those are kind of hard to answer. It's, you know, a lot of like speculating involved in that. Um, I, I don't know if it could happen today. I, I'm old, you know, and disconnected from what, what goes on in, in like local scenes anywhere. You know, I'd like to think that, that in different places around the country, there's some equivalent where, you know, there's young kids that all know each other in an area that are putting on shows and, and doing their own thing, you know, um, it seems likely to me, you know, I just, now that I'm disconnected from it all, <clears throat> I have no idea. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> uh, but I think it's possible still, you know, I don't think it's something that was, uh, unique to just that, that time and place. Um, you know, and then as far as what made it so special, I think one thing that was really uh, key was there was like a sound the bands had been developing, like in New Jersey and Long Island, and I guess sort of like in the Northeast, I would say. And there's this combination of like punk rock and hardcore um, that that was going back probably into like the eighties or something. And these bands had, there was like a a history in that scene. So into like the nineties, when I was uh, going to these shows that that there was like a already like veterans in that scene. And, um, and at that point that sound hadn't been like um, commercialized yet really. So I think that was a key is that, that, that there was this, this real history that for, for young bands to draw from. And there wasn't the, the commercial aspect yet. People weren't, the, the bands weren't thinking, Oh, uh, if I start a band with this sound, <clears throat> I'm going to be um, successful or something like that. They were just saying, I love this music and I want to make music that sounds like that too. It, it, it kind of gave it time. Um, yeah. To, to ruminate. And yes, you, it was almost like you, it, it, it was slower. Um, I think about let's say let's say it happened today. I felt like it would be a lot quicker. There'd be more Bandcamp links to listen to, or there would be mm-hmm. uh, more YouTube videos to see, and it would almost be overwhelming um, and maybe move faster. Yeah. But there, it just it kind of had time to not necessarily weed out the week, but sort of you needed to work a little bit to do it. You had to play a show because you needed those ten people to see you and go tell ten more friends. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's. True. That the, the 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 internet definitely makes a, a difference, and yeah, that I guess that that was an interesting thing about any of those scenes is the only people that are going to see you play are the people who come see you play. Like you can't reach an audience outside of the people that are going to come to that place and stand in front of you and watch you. You know, so yeah, that that makes a difference, I think. And then you know, around that time, you know, for you playing. Uh, guitar was that late for you or were you always playing um were there any things was there a different influence to play guitar versus when you started going to shows or was it all at the same time i started playing guitar when i was about 15 oh so and, definitely um, earlier yeah yeah i've been playing for a while at that point so that was what was also kind of funny about me 
<clears throat> um, seeing all these these bands in my like when I was about like nineteen or twenty is like the like what I had been listening to and learning how to play was like classic rock. And then like, and of course like grunge, like because I was, you know, learning to play guitar in like the early nineties. So that it was like, I loved Nirvana, Pearl Jam and all that stuff. And, and but also that a lot of that, the, at least like the Pearl Jam and Soundgarden was really rooted in classic rock music. So a lot of what I learned uh, as a guitar player was, yeah, it was like, classic i didn't learn anything that had anything to really do that much with like punk rock music or hardcore music or uh, anything like that so then when i found out about it it was almost like this whole different kind of playing that i uh got opened up to yeah I, 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 we're the same age so i felt the same way it was like oh let me hear about nirvana pearl jam wait a minute <laughs> what is this yeah you know, like oh that type of tuning fantastic <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh were there any um records um you know early on that you got that you liked um that sort of set you on the way i mean you mentioned nirvana or pearl jam or you know anything sort of the newer stuff was it was it getting a silent majority or an inside record um the the big ones for me uh, were uh, actually like it. I don't know how it ended up. This I, I think it just ended up like getting the, these records from friends. It ended up being like bands that weren't necessarily Long Island bands, but that a lot of the people in that scene and people that I was friends with listened to. So I ended up getting like the the first Get Up Kids album, uh, the first Saves the Day album the first couple of promise ring albums mm-hmm. and uh those in particular for me were like those were were huge like i just had never heard anything like that and uh i spent a lot of time uh listening to those albums and like kind of absorbing them and uh you know trying to figure out how i could uh, do something like that oh nice Jody uh, was the person that gave me the first Get Up Kids record. <laughs> I remember her telling me about him. <laughs> because, yeah. because growing up in Vermont, nothing travels up there. <laughs> it's like, back then, yeah, anyway. Vermont is pretty, it's pretty disconnected, <laughs> even from like the Northeast. <laughs> yeah, it's like you needed to have an effort to get up there to play a show. And it was maybe if you're on the way to Montreal, but you never went up there on purpose. Um, yeah <laughs> so, yeah that's a tough spot <laughs> but being close to all those things uh and obviously if those bands would come through if they would they would play you know brownies or something or they would play long island um having mm-hmm. that exposure to a lot of those touring bands um either going into the city or if they were playing um you know new jersey or long island or connecticut everything was so close um did you feel like you were getting exposed to all these different things because I think the interesting part about that time period too was how different bands sounded but were from the same mm-hmm. place instead of yeah. all sounding the same and <laughs> being from different places. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I you know I don't I don't think I really appreciated um what what I had like growing up on Long Island and then being able to go into New York City. Uh it was just sort of what you did, you know, and there was always local shows on Long Island and there was always shows in the city. Like going to the city was always sort of like, 
it felt like a step up. Like anybody who could play a show in Manhattan and draw people, it always felt like, oh, they've like they're they've, they're big. Like they're they're kind of a big band. Even if you're going to like a bar, you know, and they're playing to like a uh, hundred people, it's like, oh man, these guys are huge. You know, they're playing in New York City, and, and you know, like it was very impressive. But I, I don't think I fully appreciated um, at the time that, like, you know, the the access to, to all the different bands that, that I had. To, you know, I, I think I just kind of took it for granted. As I stared at all my, you know, uh, if looking, you know, at all the flyers <laughs> of like, oh, wow, who just played <laughs> yeah. Coney Island High? Damn it. <laughs> Yeah, I'm sure you probably uh, you probably understood uh, much more like what like the, the, the uh, what I had than I than I did, you know. I mean, when Madball would come up, that was like the biggest news of the month. That was <laughs> that, that was it, <laughs> which was still awesome, fantastic show. But I wanted a little more indie rock. Um, you were looking for something else, so. yeah. But the the. That time period, too, you were talking about getting the Get Up Kids record, the promise ring, this podcast is called Washed Up Emo, we're both the same age, we're a little washed up, it's okay. The word emo, um, do you mm-hmm. remember when you first heard it? Do you remember having a reaction to it? Um, what were some of the first thoughts? I remember hearing it around the time that all this uh, was happening, that it was kind of the, the genre that people were describing a lot of this music as and um i i didn't really like i don't know didn't it didn't really register with me one way or another at first because you know you're just talking about mostly like a very local scene or you know like a small scene in my mind and then people are saying emo and and i guess to me at first it just it just seemed like it was the way to describe like this uh, type of band that was like not hardcore and not punk rock, um, but had elements of both, and then like blended in something uh, different also in in with that. And so at first, that was all I, I really thought about emo was I guess that that's what it means. It's it's a way to describe that type of band, you know, one that doesn't fit easily into punk rock or hardcore. Mm-hmm. And then. Um, and then as it became more popular, as I guess when I started to think about it more and, uh, and, and feel that like it was a pretty silly term. It wasn't ever, it wasn't ever a term that I or felt like was cool, I guess. I never was like excited to say, I love emo music or I'm in an emo band, you know? Yeah. Everyone runs away from it. It's fine. You definitely, yeah. you're definitely and, in the, in and the it majority. Is, and, that, and, and, and it is true. I I do love emo music, and I am uh, in an emo band. But yeah, I never felt. I never wore the. I never wore the the, the emo badge with uh, pride. <laughs> that's totally true. I love see thinking about that. Like, <laughs> it's like that's so normal. It's like, wait a minute. Yes, I love it. I'm going to be in my room listening to it. And but you know what? When I'm my band, I'm in a rock band. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. But you know what? Now though, it's come around. I mean, as, as far as I can tell, like the younger, um, it's insane generation of people. The, there's the emo revival, and there's emo night. You go to emo night, and um, and 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 then people are proud of it. And it's it's. I mean, at least in some circles, 
it's cool, you know? Um, well, here's the thing. Which it's, I think is interesting. Oh, it's it's fascinating. And I almost called it uh, – so 2010 was sort of the emo revival – Nine, oh nine, a lot in the Philly bands. They were these they, these bands were starting to sound like Mineral or you know American Football yeah. and things. And um, I've been doing a DJ night in the city for about five years, and uh, we would get you know a certain group of people if they were in their you know twenties, uh, you know late twenties, and then as they sort of got older, got kids, you know you can kind of get this that there'd be a new crop of people, and uh-huh. we had a bunch of people kind of come in for a while and. And then you, I could sense that the years of people's requests kept getting newer and newer. So it wasn't the sunny day requests. <laughs> it was, I want to hear Bayside. I want to hear, uh-huh. you know, and then it started to get, you know, worse and worse. Um, joking. Um, okay. And this last month, <laughs> or, uh, a few months ago, this girl goes, I need you to play something retro for me. I was like, okay, awesome. What are you thinking? We want 98, you know? And she goes, I want some 09 Coheed. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, "Yep, we are, we are definitely there." <laughs> they're well, just, yeah, they are, I, I you mean, know, and nothing wrong with when that you think either. about nineteen. When you think about oh nine, uh, how many years ago is that? Now we're getting to that being I don't know what is it, like seven years ago. Yeah, that's I know it's ago? a long time ago. But <clears throat> so I, was, I don't know what it is actually. I'm really bad at math, but <laughs> I am absolutely. It's a long time ago. If you're born in the 90s. Yes. <laughs> and, and so that's what kind of – it was sort of a little wake-up call where being like that to them was old and I need to do that. Uh-huh. And then to know that you know 2000 wasn't yesterday because I still think it is. Uh, right. And so this sort of the – you're right. There's this, this resurgence again is you know, if, if it was 10 years for those people and now they're maybe older and they've got a job or they're writing for someone and they're nostalgic for mm-hmm. it, which I think – turns back to you yeah. guys being like there's a resurgence in sort of uh you know taking back sunday or any of those bands from that era to do those 10 years or like you guys did mm-hmm. um and what yeah. did, was it cool to kind of see it was almost like you know it, it's like going to an acdc concert you sort of see the guy with his kid and maybe the the, the dad's dad went too <laughs> there's like generations right. going yeah I mean, we're getting we're getting to that point um, as a band. We uh, we've been seeing people come with their kids for a while now, but it's getting to the point now. Where, like, so you'll see uh, uh, a couple with their kid, but it's not like a little kid. Their kid is like ten or eleven years old or something now, or older. You know, like so. It's getting to the point where in a few years that kid is probably going to be coming on their own without their mom and dad and mom and dad might still be coming to the show and like hiding out in the back and giving them their space or something. I don't know. But, um, but it is, it is a cool thing that like, uh, uh we made that jump from, uh, we're, or we're, we're in the process, I guess, of making that jump from one generation to another. And I think that's why it's like, I always thought the bands, you know, your older brother or sister, if they're in the punk rock, they told you about no effects. Or they told you about that sort of band, and I think you guys from that era were that band um, that you guys have been able to kind of keep doing it. And I think that's a huge thing. You know, it could have. Yeah. Um, and I, do you guys ever? I mean, yes, you think about it, but I'm saying, are there thoughts when you kind of be like, "Holy shit, we kind of, we kind of, we kind of, we're we're still doing this." <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, I, I don't think any of us can, can believe it. And um, I think that we all kind of have the feeling that we're still trying to make it, you know? Mm-hmm. So I think that that's part of what it, what keeps us going is we still don't really feel like we've made it yet. Yeah. And then, too, I think the, you know, sort of the, from you guys having that sort of scene and us talking earlier about, you know, they were all different sounds and you guys were playing with different bands if it was, you know, more indie leaning or more hardcore leaning or more maybe more metal leaning. I would love to kind of get your thoughts sort of when it kind of hit. And this was maybe when you were with Straylight Run too um, and Taking Back Sunday. The sort of, I call it the mall emo era where it just kind of went crazy. Um, and if mm-hmm. it was the signings and, you know, the band started to sound the same. What were some of the you know thoughts about that? I mean, there were fantastic bands from that era, and then there were ones that were complete garbage um, that I think were just so derivative. Um, what were some of the things that you were thinking about as you sort of saw this happening all around you? <laughs> of like, wow, people are. This isn't just us playing a show for ten people. You know, people are hearing hearing about this all over the world. Yeah, I mean, that, it was uh, it was pretty mind-blowing and uh you know it, it's hard to describe that 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 time period and that feeling like the the uh, tell all your friends album came out in in 2002 i think march of 2002 and uh no one had any reason to think that that album was going to to do well uh you know and within about six months of it coming out, we were selling out all the venues we played and getting like up, like bumped up to bigger venues and selling those out. And then like within a year, it was, uh, you know, kind of a phenomenon and, and it wasn't anything that, uh, anyone in the band or I don't think anyone in the label or anyone would have predicted at all. And, so it was just uh, that that time period to me feels like it was when I think back about all the different things that happened and how many things happened so quickly. That feels like it was a couple of years, but it was it was probably really this one like eight month, nine month period where everything just blew up and, and went crazy, and um, and it was amazing. But it was like it was just uh, it was disorienting and uh, and. And then after that, everything that happened, like with with uh, with that whole scene and like bands coming after Taking Back Sunday blowing up, I honestly just I just started checking out. With I was just like I'm I'm done. I don't I'm not. I I stopped listening to to what was happening in that scene and just sort of like disconnected and really uh, started trying to do my own thing and not think about it. Yeah. What was the What was the re- Why was that reaction? Was it? It just was it. I don't know. Just, I mean, that, that seems really, you know, heartfelt of just like, I just, you know, there's, it just seems like it was, was it just too far removed from what you had thought was that scene or? Well, like, like to me, when the Take Back Sunday album came out, when Tell Your Friends came out, like, I felt like we all felt like we were proud of it and it was good, but like, we're all kind of like, eh, it's a first album we can, uh, we'll do better next time. You know, the, mm-hmm. the next one's going to be much better than this. And then like, that was just, you know, the thing and everyone, and everyone loved it. 
And then to hear then like bands sounding using that as sort of a template was kind of at least like personally, I like it was like well, like no, like no, this is like we didn't like we weren't we kind of like didn't mean to do this. <laughs> like so don't don't try to copy it because like it was a it was half a mistake really, you know, like mm-hmm. and uh and so and, and it is it is very flattering that, that like it, it became something that influenced other bands. But at the time I couldn't really like appreciate that and I just saw the whole thing as like you know, as being uh, I, I think sort of like commercialized and, and and like there was this like huge rush to sort of capitalize on something that was happening. And it wasn't just us, you know, I, I shouldn't just talk about taking back something and that. It was a whole sound and a whole scene and involved a lot of bands, you know. But um, I, I was still also pretty young and I was like pretty like idealistic too. And so I think I still had that thing of like, no, this isn't about like commercialism, man, you know, or something yeah. like that. And so I saw like every, a lot of things that came after as being about trying to like capitalize and, and it probably wasn't, it was probably a lot of younger bands that just wanted to make music that sounded like the bands they liked, just like we were doing, you know, <clears throat> but, but in any rate, I, I couldn't, I couldn't like just listen to that music anymore and take it for what it was. So I just kind of dropped out, you know? And then, you know, was, was straight light run that sort of way to get away and sort of restart? It was, yeah, and and I mean, I think if you listen to the first Straylight Run album, it's a very clear departure yes. <laughs> from from that stuff. There's some elements uh, of of it, but that was, I think, to some extent, was was a result of that. Is me saying like, look, I this is like not what what I'm all about. I'm not all about this whole scene. Like, I want to make music and hear some other music, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> check out this, this other music that I'm doing and that I like and, and not want to make. And then, you know, I think the, you know, those, that, you know, record for you guys and, uh, you know, uh, you know, putting together that stuff, was there, was there any apprehension of kind of, you know, I mean, you had to do it on victory is what I've heard. Um, you know, but it was mm-hmm. sort of, you were in that same, it wasn't like you could assign to sub pop, um, or something, you know, if it was yeah. bar well, none or something, wouldn't have wanted but, us but you know what I mean? Like being able to go that yeah. far away and being able to make the music without having that connection to something that was sort of happening. Yeah. Well, like, honestly, I think I was pretty torn in the, like, in my, myself with what I wanted to do, like, cause there was a part of me that, you know, like what I did with the first, what I, with what I was a part of the first Taking Back Sunday album was genuine. And so like, I didn't want to totally like, just like disconnect myself from all of that. But then there was another part of me that was like, no, it's not, that's only like one thing that I do. That's not what I'm all about, you know, and like wanted to totally cut that off. And so, like, I think if you listen to that album, you can hear, like, that there's there's times where, you know, we would let some aspects of that, you know, what, what people would expect, you know, from an emo band come in. And there's other times where we totally push against it, and it's just like a quiet P 
piano song, you know, with like Glock and Spiel. And uh, so there was, yeah, there was like a big, I, I think to me, for personally, I don't know about for the rest of the band, but for me it was all internal of all this, this thing of like, what do I want to put out there? What represents me? Like, is it this thing that people expect from me or is it this thing that I'm interested in doing right now at this moment? You know? And I think you, you kind of hit on a point that um, I, I, I've heard a lot from a lot of bands where, you know, you get this one point and everyone wants you to do that continuously. So you sound yeah. like this. I want you to sound like this every single record. And for a band to continue, you're going to need to evolve and change. And you hope to God that the, 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 the fans come with you. And sometimes you get to that point mm-hmm. where, you know, Jimmy Eat World, they can do whatever they want. The pan, fans are going to show up. They're going to play the hits. They're going to play the new songs. And it's sort of a, you know, they did it. And I think, you know, yeah. you've got this feeling. You're like, guys, I know you love that first record. I know you really do. But I like this now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and right. it's hard. Because it's... <laughs> it is. Well, one thing I realized as I got older is that a good song is a good song. And so, like, if you can keep writing really good songs, you're going to be okay. But that's easier said than done, you mm-hmm. know? Um, but that's the thing is, I think I got really hung up on the style and the sound of songs for a while. And, and I think a lot of, I think it happens to a lot of bands who get known for something is they get hung up on, oh, this is what people expect. They're like, I don't know if I can keep doing this. When really it's about like, can you keep writing good songs? And, and, and I think you can put them in, if you can write a good song, you can put it in any style or any sound and it's going to find an audience. It might be a struggle for a little while, you know, like for people to adjust to it or to find a new audience. But I think that's the really big thing that's, uh, that I, I wish I could have like gone back in time and told myself like back when Straight Run was starting. It's like, just concentrate on writing good songs. Don't worry about what the sound is or like the style and if like people are going to associate it with whatever. It doesn't matter. Just write good songs, you know? Yeah. And at, and at this point, was it some, when did it, when did that moment hit you? Was it when you rejoined TBS or was it, was it earlier than that where you're like, you know what? (laughs) I'm doing this for me. (laughs) Well, you know what? That was the big, that was a big factor was, was coming back to taking back Sunday. Um, I, I remember I had a conversation with Adam before, like I had officially rejoined the band, like we had been talking on the phone and I've been trying to feel things out. And, um, I was like, so what are you trying, what are you trying to do? Like with this next album, like, what do you want it to sound like? Like, what do you want it to be? You know, because like, I think in my mind I was worried, like, oh, is it going to be like, oh, we want to write Tell Your Friend Part 2, or we want to, like, try to go in some direction that's going to, I don't know, like, do something for somebody. And um, and I remember it's just like, man, I just want to make a really great rock album. And then I was like, yeah, that sounds, that sounds good. Like, I can... Uh, get on board with working towards writing a really great rock record. And like, and then once we started working on, on 
the songs together again. That's when it, I think really started to hit me is because we would work on these songs and I would realize, you know, like Adam and I'd be working on something and, and, and have be like kind of playing it in this really stripped down acoustic form. And then like the band would be playing it together and it'd be like really loud and, and heavy. Um, and then it's just like, you realize, well, well this song is still, it's the still same there. song either way, whether, you know, like, so it doesn't really matter. I mean, people might take it a different way if it's packaged as an acoustic song or as a heavy thing, but the song is the song and that's what's important. And I think that's when it really like came back to me was when Ping my Sunday was working on that, that uh, first record back together. And then, you know, what, did, what, what was it about sitting there? Was it, was it that moment working with Adam and then you remembered sort of the earlier time or the, you know, the, you know, knowing what the guys were going to do, what were some of those things that you were feeling? Was it just, wow, this feels right. Or it was just sort of a familiar feeling. Well, when we first started working on songs for that album, we just went very basic. We just got together and went in the room and like hit record and just like played and um, and so we had this whole thing of like maybe 12 or 15 songs that were just really raw and not fully realized and really rough, but we just kind of played them. And at that point, it felt like, it felt exactly like the old days. It was like, uh, this is just, yeah, that was basically what we did with Tell All Your Friends. And I think what the deal was like is, if it had been the Tell Your Friends era, we would have gone in and recorded those songs as they were. Mm-hmm. But Taking Back Sunday had been a band for, you know, like uh, four albums at that point and had developed into this thing that was so much different than the Tell Your Friends era. And so then it was like, okay, now we have these. So now we're going to go into the studio and we're going to work on pre-production and get these songs to the next level and we're going to record real demos. Like those are just like the like preliminary demos. Mm-hmm. Now we're going to record like real demos where we take these songs up another notch and work on them. And then after we got there, it's like now we go to the next level where we hammer out the details and get ready to really record them and work these songs even more. Um, so like, yeah, so I guess what I'm saying is like the starting point was this basic, exactly the same as Satan back Sunday in the old days, just jam things out in the room. And then it kind of went into like what the band had gotten accustomed to when Sean and I weren't there, which was, you know, trying to make a real professional rock album, you know, in the studio with producers and uh, make it sound really good, you know. And and work on it. You know, this was, you guys yeah, were working. Work, we worked, yeah, we worked our asses off on that album. And I, and I had never worked like that, even with Straight Light Run. We didn't, we didn't work like that, but. I guess in the time when I was away from the band, that is what they got to to doing is really, really get going to work on songs, you know, like after they were initially written. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, um, you know, I think too that, you know, you getting back together with them, I think was a big deal. I think a lot of people, you know, had really good feelings about it. Um, and, you know, g- you know, coming back home, you know, there's always that sort of a, you know, there's whenever you come back home, there's always someone to, you know, hug you or there, there's always a guy down the street. Did you kind of feel that when those moments were happening, that it was that it felt right, that there were things kind of 
falling into place again? You personally yeah, I mean, or just, you know, socially? Or yeah. You... Well, one thing that was, I think, amazing about the, the, the self-titled album, as, you know, it ended up being mm-hmm. uh, re- referred to, is uh, the band as a whole, we had so many moments like that where we were listening back in the studio to something we just worked on, and we're all, like, so psyched and, like, high-fiving and just like, this is the best. This is awesome. We're doing it, guys. We're doing it. <laughs> and we like bonded so much over that record. And, uh, and, and I think it was, you know, generally well received, but we definitely didn't feel that the level of excitement of excitement that we shared with each other when we were writing the album and finishing it and listening back to it. Like we didn't feel that from the, the fans as much as like we had expected. And, and I don't know if maybe we like just set our sights too high or something, or I don't know what, but you know, it, it didn't like, once it came out, there wasn't like you say, this feeling of, Oh, we're back and we're home. There, there definitely was a little bit of a feeling of like when people heard it of like, huh? Hmm. <laughs> like, like people being <laughs> like, huh? Huh? Okay. All right, guys. Yeah, all right. All right. Yeah, okay. <laughs> You know, were you like totally, oh sh-. they're like, like oh, sh-. oh we're back yeah this is it yeah they were like oh shit i think they're onto something else <laughs> yeah i really don't i don't know what people really thought of it i still don't know because every time i talk about that kind of thing i'll have so many people tell me no no oh, everyone loves that out but that's like you know, telling like, someone you got there on stage playing those songs live like after the album came out i mean you know you see the reaction from the crowd you know when people are getting excited and when they're not you know like now that we're around christmas so, time it's yeah. sort of the you know the christmas time thing you can sort of feel like when you get that shitty present and you kind of have to you know <laughs> tell grandma like grandma these socks are fantastic no no yeah it's great it's great but i do think the, the like and i do i know i know lots of people love the album but uh i don't think like I said, it, it wasn't like the slam dunk that, that we thought it was. And, but one thing I think that was really important, though, is that the band was on the same page with it. Mm-hmm. So it almost, you know, it was like, it was almost like, okay, well, the, you know, the album, we, it did okay. We're, we're, we keep going. We keep going. We all think we, we made a great album. Let's make another great album, you know, and, and let's keep doing it. So I think that was ended up being a, like a really key thing is that we all we all liked what we did, you know, like as a group. And uh and that's really important. That's a lot more important, I think honestly than uh than than getting a, a gigantic uh unanimous reaction from the fan base because if you can all stay on the same page and keep going and keep making something that the band is excited about and the band is happy with. I think uh, that's really like the only way you can keep momentum. And that's what I, I, it's funny you say that I mentioned whenever I meet a band or I tell, I see somebody or in the street or something, it's always keep make, keep making music. You know, this is, yeah. And, and that's the, a lot of people have told that to me and I, and I always say, thank you. I'm going to try because that's what, that's all you want. It's like, I, I, it's, they're bands that you go on, on journeys with and, I want to know, I would love John if you guys were still playing in 20 years. I know that seems like crazy yeah, now but but that that would be amazing. 
and there'd be people there and maybe it's at the beacon and everyone's sitting down but the, you know <laughs> they, they'll they'll be there and i think the you know you guys doing the 10th anniversary tour um and then you know being able to still do this that's something that a lot of bands don't get they get two records you know a guy leaves someone gets married and then there's no magic yeah. left um, yeah yeah i know what you mean that's true so. well luckily or unluckily everyone that's in taking back sunday that we don't know how to do anything else so <laughs> we're uh we're all if, if this doesn't work out we have no backup plan so we're, we're you know we're doing this until everyone tells us to stop that's good see everybody everyone listening they have no backup plan so <laughs> that's good to know uh i wanted to quickly go to straylight run again uh the um video for existentialism on prom night there i said it i have stuttering problem um fantastic video i think there are very few videos from certain eras that stick and that one does um i think if it was in the vine or instagram era i feel like you guys would have had crazy um you know uh tributes to it or mock ones or whatever it is um, uh, but uh were there any you know thoughts from that i mean that gets requested every single emo night that i've done for five years um there's That's always good. someone that puts it on there, um, and it's usually my get the fuck out song. Um, we're done. Right. It's like two in the morning. You guys need to leave. Well, um, yeah, it's hard to stand up there and like rowd, rowd, rowdy up the crowd and pump up these kids starting It's our um, it's it's the, our version uh, of closing time. <laughs> yeah, that's a good that's a good one. I like that. I'll, I'll settle for that you know, as a, as a, as my my legacy at emo night. Um. I, uh, the, the one thing about that song, about the video that was, is, uh, somewhat interesting is we actually got the New Jersey transit to give us, or the New Jersey pass train to give us a train. We had like two hours or something Oh wow! and they cleared out a train for us and it was not easy because uh, this was like 2003 or 2004, so we were only like a couple of years out of 9-11, so I could, the uh, security and, and everything was like, it was crazy. They were not doing that all willy-nilly. And um, so, yeah, we got a whole like train to just run back and forth on this line for like, yeah, like I said, an hour to two hours, and we had to get the whole thing done in that time. And... Uh, and we did it, and it was, uh, yeah, it was, it was pretty cool. I, I think it, uh, yeah, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm proud of that video. Where did the idea originate from? Um, it was my idea. I don't mind telling you. Uh, I was at the time I was uh, taking the train into Manhattan a lot from Long Island, and uh, listening to music on my headphones, and and I kind of had this thought of. Uh, the whole train erupting into song, sort of what happens at the end of it. Yeah, sort yeah. of that was the initial idea. As I was listening to music and like imagine just picturing everyone on the train like getting up and singing along together in unison, and the whole thing turning into this song and dance number. And uh, so that was the starting point. I think that was about all the idea that I had, and then I brought it to the to the director, and and he kind of you know hammered it out and made it into uh, what you ended up seeing there. 
It's fantastic. I always thought about it'd be really funny if someone in the shoot didn't like. Let's say someone accidentally got on the train and didn't know that it was going back and forth for two hours. And I just thought that'd be a funny <laughs> subplot of them trying to get yeah. off. Or like, I'm, <laughs> is this supposed to be Ron Ron Concomo? Like, where 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 are we going? I don't know. You know, I honestly have no idea how they kept everything clear, like on the platform. I mean, I know there was only two stops. They just did one at the very beginning, one at the end. But there had to be a little bit of a challenge there of like not having anyone jump on people like jumping on to travel. Because everyone's they, impatient, uh, you know, they're all impatient waiting yeah. for the train. <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and then I, you know, I want to do as well. You know, you're doing some solo music over over, over the years. You just recently did um, an album through Pledge Music, which is called "Sad Strange Beautiful Dream." Um, what was it like mm-hmm. doing it through Pledge Music, and wh- what was sort of some of the thoughts? Um, I decided to do the Pledge Music thing because. Uh, I just had a really clear idea of how I wanted to do the album. Um, I wanted to work with Mike Sapone, the producer, and, and I had a bunch of friends who I wanted to play on it. And uh, I kind of knew roughly what it was going to cost to make that happen. And I talked to some smaller record labels, tried to see you know if we, I could get it going through them. and um, it, it didn't seem like they were going to give me the budget to do that and and i felt like it was pretty reasonable so then at a certain point i just kind of said you know what i think i can do this i think i can make this happen and uh and i liked the way that pledge music did their thing like uh it's a little different than like kickstarter because they have people who work for pledge music you know this you have like a support system and you know they have a whole team of people and uh yeah, so I, I went with them to, to fund the record and uh, actually ended up recording it like while it was still like being funded and you know the whole process was going on. I kind of just dove in and did it. I figured uh, figured one way or another it would get done, mm-hmm. and uh, and it did. So that was good. And then, so what? Um, I know you did some some touring earlier, and uh, you know some of the. I what, did. What was it like uh, doing those? Uh, new songs by yourself and um, being able to do that was it uh, you know again your feeling of look I got something new guys you know <laughs> don't be yelling out the don't be yelling out those other songs <laughs> <laughs> yeah you know I mean it's uh, I think that uh, it, it is a thing that, that, that I work with and, and taking back Sunday works with is like you you appreciate where you're at and the fact that you wouldn't be there if it wasn't for, you know, the people who have come out all these years to watch you play and love all the music you've made. And, and it's like, you try to walk that, that line between playing the, you know, some, some older stuff that people are excited for and, and playing some new stuff that you hope people are going to get into too. And, uh, you know, so I try to do that on my solo tours. I, I'll, I'll play, uh, I play still, I run songs and, I, uh, you know, like I, I try to, to make a good balance of, of the stuff from the new record. I also had another solo album in 2009, you know, like play a little of that and, you know, try to try to put together a set list that I think people are going to be happy to hear, you know? Mm-hmm. And then, um, you know, what, what else is, um, what else are you going to be doing in, uh, 2015 or 2016 with the solo stuff? More, more touring or kind of just, uh, back to the studio um, for you? 
Well, the solo, the solo stuff, um, I just put out a music video uh, for the first song on the album called American Nightclub 1999. And uh, I do some, uh, some singing and dancing in that video, so ah. it's, it's pretty fun. It's, uh, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's, a silly little, it's a silly little video. It's actually based on some, uh, the experiences I had going out to, to clubs in the early days back when I was uh, hanging out with the, all, the, all the Taking Back Sunday guys and like our friends from that whole scene, we would go out to like these, this is a 80s night. They had it at a dance club and we would, uh, you know, like be really out of place, but try to, we'd always end up going out and getting drunk and then trying to dance and, you know, like trying to hit on girls and stuff and <laughs> being really awkward. And, uh, and this video is, and the song are both uh, about that time. So I just, just put that out there. And um, that's, you know, probably for a while, I, the only thing that's going to happen with the solo thing, you know, it's, it's really something I'm just trying to do when I can. It's uh, in, you know, in the, the spaces between taking my Sunday schedule. And, um, and taking my Sunday is, is working on, uh, on a new record right now. We're, we're go we're, We've been recording demos for a while. In uh, January, we're going back and uh, doing another round of demos, and we're you know we're getting close to to going into the studio officially. That is fantastic news. Thanks. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> uh, you are in um, you're in North Carolina now. You live down the street from Adam. Uh, it's a little more mm-hmm. laid back. I went to school down there. It's uh, I miss the sweet tea. Uh, um, yeah. what do you, what, what would you want to do, you know, outside of, you know, taking back Sunday or even, you know, um, are there things that, that you want to do or that you're feeling your, yeah, I'd like to do that in the next five years or, or are you only thinking about the next six months? <laughs> um, I try to think ahead a little more than I used to. I have, uh, I have, uh, a couple of kids now, which is crazy to say I have kids, plural, plural, uh, I'm not used to saying that. Uh, my, my newest kid is only a month old, so I'm still oh, getting congrats. used to the plural. Thank you. Um, so I am trying to think ahead a little more, but you, and, you know, I feel like you can only plan so much. It's a little up in the air. Uh, I, I've, I've been wanting to for the longest time, like uh, to write, and you know, and uh, I feel like the best bet I have on that is to do something that's sort of just like based on my own life, I don't think I've got like some giant insane novel in me, but I think I could write like a book of stories from my own life. That could be fairly interesting. So I thought about that a lot. I've, uh, I like that I idea to, to do more with. Yeah. Well, hopefully I'll be, uh, calling you up to promote my, my book at some point. <laughs> we'll see. But yeah, I, I think, I think I'm going to really try next, the next time taking back Sunday is out on the road for a year, which will probably be next year. I'm, I'm going to try to like force myself to, to really work on, on something like that instead of just sitting around and looking at the internet and getting drunk all the time. <laughs> I'm going to try to, to work while I have some, some time on the road. Um, the other thing though, that I'm like really is always wanted to do and it's happening a little is like, I've wanted to write songs like for other people and other projects. And like last year I wrote a song for a movie, um, called bridge and tunnel. And, uh, 
and then I'm working on something with the same director uh, for uh, the movie that he's coming out, out with uh, next year. And it's, it's all still very preliminary, but I have uh, written a song for that. So that's something I'd like to do more of, and uh, hopefully I will. That's almost like yeah. using a different part of your brain, too, because you're sort of looking at something else visually and creating for that. Or they're giving you direction and saying, this is what's happening, and then you're writing for that. Yeah. Well, what's interesting is in the, this new movie that that uh, I was working on is that it's about a a bunch of guys that are in a band and they were in a band in the early two thousands and they break up and they haven't seen each other until this wedding for one of the members and they're all seeing each other again for the first time in years and uh, the director asked me to write the song that was like their hit song in like 2004. Oh, I love that. So it's, it's, yeah, it's kind of an interesting, like full circle thing that I'm like doing that kind of project now. (laughs) John, I need you to write the hit. (laughs) Yeah. Right. What would, uh, what would they have done back in your day, back in 2004? (laughs) Now are they, are they palm muting and drop D? What are they doing? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> tell me exactly. tell me an A&R guy said that to you please tell me <laughs> no no one has said anything like that but uh, you're 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 very close you're very close you're, you're pretty spot on with that the, the voice and the uh, terminology I have uh, spent uh, a good part of my life at a music label so <laughs> I hear it all day <laughs> which label which label did you work at if you don't mind oh uh, that's totally I've worked at TVT Records uh, which was mm-hmm. back in the day. Uh, I remember my, them. And then I've worked at EMI Capital. Um, okay. And then now I'm at Sony, which is uh, and Legacy, which is the catalog label. So uh, uh, Miles Davis, okay. Bob Dylan, Johnny Cash. Oh, nice! That's prestigious. But there's a lot of like you know old A and R guys that'll be like, oh, when I signed, you know, Jeff Buckley, <laughs> you know, I said this, yeah. this, and it's I'm like, you are so out of a movie. <laughs> <laughs> you must have some great stories from that, I would imagine. Yes, uh, a lot of things that uh, people can't hear. Um, but yeah, it's. <laughs> but it, it's you. Uh, it, I'm sure with you too. You like you. You meet someone, or you you have an experience, and you're like, I thought it was this, and then it was it's something completely different, and I can't tell anybody. <laughs> or like, there's the, you know, or backstage isn't that cool. That's the first thing I tell everybody. <laughs> Like, yeah, I was like, you want that backstage pass? Yeah. Guess what? It is not cool. <laughs> yeah, and uh, the music industry in general is like that. It's uh, it's hard to explain to people that uh, like that that only have an idea of it from the movies. I think, like, I think basically the, the problem is everybody pictures the music industry and rock bands from the seventies. Like that's like the, the, I think in like the average person's mind, like that's what still is like the music industry and bands is like, yeah, what happened in the seventies. And, uh, they don't realize that, you know, like the music industry has no money anymore. And bands just sit around staring at their phone backstage by themselves. (laughs) Well, the, um, I forgot to mention, I I worked at vagrant records and I worked at equal vision and, I loved Equal Vision growing up. I was a big fan of Shift and, you know, a hardcore scene and getting to work with them was like a dream. But 
you know, you're, you're six people in a room and you're like having to figure it out and it's hard. You have five jobs, yeah. you have six jobs. You don't just do one thing or, you know, I have so many. Yeah, well, those labels in those days. Yeah. That's a whole different, that's a lot of work for everybody. Yeah. I mean, being able to, I mean, this was, if it was working Circus Survive or Armor for Sleep or, you know, those kind of things, it was, you were doing so many things at once and you were learning, but you were, it was like, uh, you wish you had 10 more people with you, but there was no money for it. Um, yeah. So yeah, it's definitely harder. Yeah. yeah. And then, and, and all the interns, this is the, this is the point of telling it all the interns that would come in a lot of them, not all of them. A lot of them would come be like, I'm going to come in and sign bands. You know, they'd have the same voice right. and I'm like, no, this is not. This no. Is not. <laughs> yeah. We need you to go get everyone coffee and lunch. <laughs> You're not going to sign bands. Yeah. Uh, so last question before I leave you just and thank you so much for the time was you know what are you listening to right now what's what's sort of exciting you uh, ex- ex- exciting for you musically for your ears when uh, you don't have to do work um, there's a band or a guy in a band called uh, Nathaniel uh, Ratcliffe and the Night Sweats mm-hmm and uh, that album is just great. I, I've been really loving that. It's one of the first things in a little while that I've uh, just like can't get enough of. And um, another one is uh, is uh, there's, there's Lost in the Dream uh, has the, or the, well, that's the the name of the record. But that album has just been. Uh, I I can't I can't get enough of that one as well. It, it's just uh, by the same band. Fantastic. No, no. Oh, sorry. Yeah, that's a uh, that's. Sorry, I'm getting my uh, I'm getting my my things all mixed up. Um. No, hold on a minute. Let me uh um, let me look through my. Please. I got a bunch of records that are sitting right on my my uh mixing here. I was just talking about this with somebody. Is that before? I could instantly go to your house and judge you based on your record collection, uh, right? You know, you could judge someone. You actually based on, still could. But think you can. But now it's like if you're going to your, you know, a kid's house or something. It's you got to go open up their Spotify, check out their playlist, and well, then I can true, judge you. Yeah, but I could that's instantly true. judge you. <laughs> you, I still got the. Yeah, I'm still instantly judgeable. If you look at my record collection, I. I think, though, also being an older person, I feel like like I need to uh, like have that credibility or something. Yes. You know, I need to let you uh, see that I own real records and look at what they are. <laughs> but, but I also feel a little bit of pride that I could look at. I just went by, by my record player and it's like, what what do I got up here that I've been listening to? And uh, the the War on Drugs is the band. Uh, Lost in the Dream is is uh, is the War on Drugs. And that album is just uh, amazing. And, uh, and like I said, Nathaniel uh, Radcliffe and the Night Sweats, that album, I believe, is just self-titled. And it's amazing. And then uh, also based on what I have sitting next to my record player, um, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, that record is just excellent. <laughs> if you haven't heard Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, you need to check it out. Have you heard the David Guetta mix, though? Oh, man, that one is just... That is all that. I mean, it's nuts. Yeah, it's phenomenal, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, John, thank you so much for the time. 
All right, well, thanks for having me. Hello, Washed Up Emo fans. Thank you for listening to this podcast over the last nine plus years. Or if it's your first time, welcome. It has flown by, and I appreciate each and every one of you for listening. And for this current episode you're about to hear, I do have a favor of you. I have some books out right now called Anthology of Emo, and Volume 2 was released last fall. I really think you'll dig it if you haven't heard of them. It features guests from the podcast, including Jim Atkins from Jimmy World, Chris Conley from Saves the Day, Travis Shettle from Piebald, and John Bunch from Sensefield. I've also printed volume one so you can order both check out the diy publishing at anthologyofemo.com